Hey friends, Dean here with some exciting news to share. You can now buy us a coffee. That's right. You can help support independent content creators like us by becoming a member of the 3324 Green Room at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324. Our episodes will always be free and that will not change, but your support at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 will help us continue to bring you the best in music and movie podcasting, in our humble opinion. As a Green Room supporter, you'll not only have our undying gratitude, but you'll also be able to vote on which episodes we record and receive other perks for as low as $3 per month. That's the price of a cup of coffee. There's absolutely no obligation and nothing about the show will change. It's not going behind a paywall. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 for all the details. The link will be in the show notes of every episode as well. We'll see you in the green room. In this episode, Eric and I are picking our top five films from the year when gas was $1.23 per gallon. The minimum wage was $4.75, and everybody was going crazy trying to tickle Elmo. Stay with us. Get ready for the 3324 Podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more. Welcome, friends, to the 3324 Podcast. My name is Dean, as always, here with Eric. Hello, Dean. Hello, Eric. How's things? I'm good. Yourself? I'm doing well. I want to thank everybody for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, if you're an existing part of the 3324 family, welcome back. Uh, by all means, if you like what you hear, like and subscribe on your favorite podcast uh, platform. We appreciate it. We definitely appreciate it. So what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about movies of 1996. Why? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. Good question. Really good question. (laughs) So we're we're doing it. We're doing a top five today, Mm -hmm. and Eric and I are going to pick our top five films from 1996. We are not going to try and guess, although I think I know two of them. But the last time I was that brazen, uh, it was a donut hole. I I got nothing out of it. So I'm I'm just a, a glutton for punishment. I'm going back out on the limb. Although we are not doing official picks. So why 1996? Uh, that's exactly what Eric asked me when we brought when we were discussing topics, and everybody else that has asked me about it. A lot of people are saying, "Well, what you know?" Now that people are saying, "Well, what are you working on next? What what are some of the next episodes?" And I'm like, "Oh, well, we're going to do a top five from 1996." And I'm like, "Why?" Mm. And I'm like, "Go look up." 1996 in film. Right. right. <laughs> and when people do, they do, they'll get it on, on Wikipedia or whatever. And they're scrolling through and they're like, oh, now okay. I, yeah, okay. <laughs> that one, that one, that one, that one. Exactly. It was, <laughs> uh, I, I I dare say, the more I think about it, I dare say, and, and let me know, tell me if you agree, that the, the 80s, I would say the 80s to the 90s, might have been like the second golden age of film. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that 100%. Because you had 
you had you know the 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 big actors like like De Niro, Pacino, Hoffman, Nicholson, you had them it, still in their stride making really strong films. Yep. And then you had like the new the new up and coming class in the 90s, Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, uh Leonardo DiCaprio, you had like that second second coming class, uh, Matthew McConaughey, all Matt Damon, Ben Affleck all had gigantic films in the 90s. So it was just a People making comebacks. John Travolta was yeah. huge in the nineties. <laughs> Thanks to yeah, Quentin I mean, it, you know. yeah, everything everything was going on in the nineties, mm-hmm. and and what you kind of almost forget. And I'm going to be honest, ninety six was a random year until I looked at it. I'm like, I was looking, I was like, oh, what, you know, what kind of years would be really fun fun to do? Um, not because there was something earth shattering and gigantic, although there were in in ninety six. Yeah, but. After looking at the list, I'm like, oh my God, this this could be a top 10. It could be a top 15. It could be a top 20. It could be a top until, we, I, until we're done. I actually looked that up right before we started and there was a couple uh, online. There's like top 100. There's a top 40. Yeah. So it's it's well above the top 20 range. I mean, there's there's just enough content there. And and good content to boot. So just a yeah. range. Oh my god, that just was the thing. Eclectic. That was yeah. <clears throat> that was the thing. You are absolutely right. And when you look at '96 in film, you've got the blockbusters. Mm-hmm. You still had the sweeping epic, and and we're gonna go over. I'm gonna go over the the Academy Award winners for that year, and I think that's kind of telling. Yeah. Um, you still had the big epics. You had the comedies. You had the small. You had indie films. Then you had smaller indie films. Right. Uh, there was just so much going on; it was unreal. So let's let's dive in first, mm-hmm. and and we'll talk about the about the Oscars. Okay. And well, I'm just gonna roll. These are the major categories, so we'll kind of roll through it, and and it might kind of give you an idea of of where the Academy was at that point too. There was a um, a four a four Pete or a four four time winner uh, for it was Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Score. And that was the English patient. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was that big sweeping epic that was still that was still kind of uh, winning winning awards back then, and still kind of a it was a, you know those big it wasn't there wasn't a gigantic grossing film, but it was one of those critical darlings, and everybody was just loving the English yeah. patient. Felt people felt that, that movie was because it was so big and and, and epic that it was sort of uh, reminiscent of like movies with like David Lean or something like sure. that. People felt a lot of the, I think older generation felt obligated to see that kind of thing felt thinking that might be like, we may not see this ever anymore, you know, mm-hmm. along because we like on the flip side, there, there were so many smaller films this year too. So I think that might, this might've been the only, like what the only film that reached that three hour mark, I think. I think uh, so. I, I didn't even check. Yeah, it was. So. It was definitely. The, it was definitely the. It was on that epic scale of like the Lawrence Arabia and and that grand. I, I, can't, I can't help but think of the Seinfeld episode when <laughs> I hate English face. <laughs> you know when when she's uh, when they they she's got to go and and to, to see the movie with her boss and her boss makes her take it Elaine and she's just bored to tears watch it for not once but twice and she's yeah. sitting in the theater like ah I gotta get <laughs> and to be honest embarrassingly enough I've never seen it I am, uh, I've seen I, I've never most seen of it. it I didn't see the whole thing because I obviously def- definitely didn't see it in the theater because I yeah. would have seen the whole thing right um, but it was definitely in 
you don't even see it on TV anymore. And I don't even see it like show up on anywhere, but it, I, I definitely caught it at some point on television. Uh, you know, I'm a big Rafe Fiennes fan, so he's, you know, anything oh, yeah. with him is just going to be yeah. great. I'm sure um, I would like the film if I, yeah. if I did see it. it. It is my kind of thing. I do love those sweeping epics, but yeah. I, I don't know why, for some reason, I just, I, I never got around to seeing that one. So, yeah, I, I think when you, when you see my, when you hear my list, you'll probably get, understand, like, oh, yeah, now I know why he didn't go see English Patient. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, best actress was Frances McDormand for Fargo. Uh, which was she was like the runaway favorite to win. I mean, it was, well I don't, think it was don't even think it was close. Best actor, Jeffrey Rush for Shine. Mm. Kind of forgot about him and and that movie, um, but that was like a big deal um, back then. His, his portrayal, uh, and then best supporting actor, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. for Jerry Maguire. Yes, uh, it was really an eclectic year for 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 that. You know, because usually when you have that sweeping epic, like the English patient, it'll take the best Everything. actor and best yeah. actress, you know, uh, usually those kind of get caught up in the wash, but now this was really just kind of a, a pretty diverse, you know, it got a picture and director supporting actress. We have to give props was Juliette Binoche. So she won for best supporting actress and then score. Mm-hmm. That's the Oscars. Now let's go to the top grossing films. And I think we'll see some, something a little bit different than the English patient. Yeah. Uh, just just the top five, and we'll go in. I'll go in reverse order. Okay. So number five was the uh, Disney animated Hunchback of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. three hundred and twenty-five mil. Number four was The Rock, which grossed three hundred and thirty-five million. So right, those were pretty close. Those were like neck and neck. Um, number three was the first Mission Impossible with four hundred mm-hmm. and uh, I think I got this number wrong. 490 something million. It's not 497 because number two is, is less than that. Um, I got to double check that. But, and then number, number two was Twister Four. I'm sorry, uh, Mission Impossible, $457 million. Okay. okay. I had a nine there. Twister number two was $494 million. And then number one, and this movie was absolutely gigantic, was Independence Day. Hey. Eight eight hundred and seventeen million. Yeah, that's um, it was that that blockbuster tentpole movie that no one, if you look, Twister couldn't even touch it. I mean, and Twist, I'm, I'm like Twister was number two. I was like, yeah, I, right. I, I really was like, yeah, okay. Um, but it, it, you see the spread, and you see the gap between Twister and, and Independence Day. Everybody saw Independence Day. It was an amazing film. It was. Roland Emmerich was just hitting his stride because he was doing he was doing he did this he did Stargate so he was just doing all those kind of sci-fi movies and, and kind of working his way up and Independence Day was just absolutely like it delivered on all levels insane yeah, yeah. you had you had Will Smith so it was very accessible um you had the whole sci-fi thing anything with Jeff Goldblum playing a scientist is going to sure. be a win <laughs> of course you know playing yeah, play, played his dad. I mean, that was that was a that was a nice little surprise throwing him in there. Yeah, and the effect yeah. and the effects were crazy at the time too. Yeah, for for were, for ninety six, those were those were groundbreaking effects, especially with, with the spaceships and that that fight at the end. You know, they're flying through canyons and they're just dog well, fighting and and you know, kind of the ragtag you know Earth. <laughs> it wasn't even ragtag United States. It was like the ragtag planet Earth. The thing I like most about it was. Um, the sense of awe was still there. 
seeing those like, you know, those ships come in like in the beginning and they're hovering over the, yeah. the city of New York and just completely enveloping the city in darkness because it was so huge. I, you know, I remember seeing Close Encounters and the mothership, you know, raises over the over Devil's Mountain and it had that kind of effect on me. I was like, wow, this is so it captured not only the, you know, the wonderment of like Spielberg, but then at by the end of it, it's like Star Wars. It's like this, you know, yeah. space lasers flying everywhere and all kinds of craziness going on. So yeah, it was it was insane. It was an insane. Yeah, film. and they kind of they kind of set it up like Earthquake or those disaster films, like yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of gave you the different threads of the different characters, yeah. and and it was the first half was basically like like earthquake or or you know airport or one of those disaster film towering inferno where they kind of give you all the different characters and everything's calm beforehand and then everything just goes down the toilet and all these characters you know main end up pretty much interacting with each other. So mm-hmm. now, yep. top five. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> The, uh, my order is again. I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for like the number one being the number one. So the number one is the number one. The other ones I just kind I I kind of mixed up just to to keep it interesting. Now, what about your top five? Basically, the the ones that I picked. You guys might be a little disappointed in my picks. I Why? don't know. They're uh, your picks, just, but they're my picks. And and they, but these these I I picked actually movies that I actually saw in the theater. Which, by and large, was not very many at all. It was only it's only the five on my list, really. All right. um, there's a lot of personal stuff going on at, at that year, so I didn't really get out to the movies all that much. So I I went with that, you know. Okay. And, but they're all solid films that I that I really enjoyed. Two of them I Alrighty. actually went back and saw again twice. So, you know. So. All righty. So, without further ado, the top five films from 1996. And uh, we'll start with number five. Go for it. Okay, so my number five is From Dust Till Dawn. I actually have this as a guilty pleasure. <laughs> there were a number, there were a number of de- really depraved movies this year. I mean, you talk about dark, dark stuff, you know. But this one, everybody was riding high on the. On, on, on Tarantino and on Robert Rodriguez, you and I were huge fans of Desperado. So I almost felt obligated to see this film because it was like their Raiders of the Lost Ark moment. It was Tarantino and, and Rodriguez working together on this film. You know, you see it and it's just ridiculously violent. And there's, it's just so, I don't think there's anything moral about this film whatsoever. It's just so depraved. And, you know, by the end of it, you're just kind of, it's just, this was Grindhouse before they did Grindhouse, the, the actual project that they worked on together. I felt like they already did it with this film because it was just so crazy, so over the top. It's like two different movies. Uh, it's, it's a heist movie. It's a kid, you know, these George Clooney makes his film uh, feature film debut in this movie, kidnaps this family in a Winnebago, and he's taking them all, you know, mm-hmm. all over the country. And, and then they reach Mexico. And then it turns into a horror film because they, 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 they go into a bar and it's full of vampires and they all turn into, and then, then, the, then it's just a bloodbath <laughs> and it's just so, so wild and so crazy. But, and every time that it's on, I feel myself compelled to watch it. You know, it's on, it's on streaming. It was on, it was on Netflix or if I rented it, whatever, I've seen it so many times, but they must've done something right. Cause it spawned what three, three or four sequels. Yeah, and, and, I think, and, 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 and a television series, yeah. which Rodriguez himself worked on. 
Yeah, TV yeah, show he also. Was like executive producer for you. And it was like a reboot of the movie, actually. Absolutely. Don Johnson was in it. And, you know, yeah. So, so, it, so that's my number five. It's just a crazy, crazy movie. Not one of my favorites by Rodriguez or, or Tarantino, but it just, it, it hit its mark, I guess, in the day, you know, because we were still riding high on that, on that kind yeah, of stuff. But, absolutely. It was, you know, um, <sighs> This is start. This I'm having deja vu. This is starting off like our top five <laughs> bass players show because uh, I had I had that on my list mm-hmm. for a long time. It was one of the first movies I wrote down because I'm okay. like, oh my god, I have to. <clears throat> but then I ended up bumping it and and actually had it as number six because uh, it's an amazing film. You're right. It, it was yeah. Clooney. Clooney before he. He kind of had a strange career because he 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 kind of started in film strong, and then as soon as he did Batman, that kind of kind of took a little bit of the shine off, and he had to work hard to kind of get it back. But this was yeah, like Clooney, Tarantino. You had Harvey Keitel, so he was still help you know helping out Tarantino uh, and doing favors for him because he had done Pulp Fiction, he had done Reservoir Dogs. So I'm like, oh okay, they got you know the gang's all here. And then mm-hmm. Rodriguez brought Selma Hayek with him, and he brought he brought Cheech Marin with him from his. Yeah. His kind of his gang and his group, Danny um, Trejo. Yeah, so it was like the, it was yeah. like the, it was like a it was like a Marvel team up of yep. of Tarantino bringing his his crew and and Robert Rodriguez bringing his crew. And yeah, Desperado, we absolutely were in love with it. I, I still love it, and it was a good film. It, it was it was bloody, but it was it was a good kind of it was a good kind of scary. And yeah, had a lot of uh, it's just it's a great story, and it was a great yeah, it was a, just a great fun fun film and that came out like yeah. in january that, that started off 96 start of the year that's yeah. crazy yeah. Yeah, absolutely because <laughs> when i'm going in the list I'm, I'm like like that was one of the first movies i saw when i'm going through what came out and i'm like okay there, there's one yeah. and uh, now nah, you shouldn't do that with 96 because there's so many other things coming i know behind it know. it was absolutely crazy now we I, I do need to let everybody know that we did we did agree on a modifier that if the lead actor or actress in a film had a second film that came out in the same year you could also claim that so do you okay. want do you want to claim anything with this because i was going to there there's you can make a claim on this and it was a good film i think i can i think i know i can make a claim you but i don't know to? if i want okay. i don't know if i want to claim the other film well you get it for free you get it for free <laughs> well why not okay sure I, I i can almost guarantee though you might have this on your list though what the one that i'm claiming well, it's got to it's got to be with with the, the lead in it though. It's got to be the lead person from that from from Dust yeah, Till I, Dawn. I has to be in, okay, got it. Go for oh, it. Not from Dust Till Dawn. Uh, one yeah. of my other picks. No, no, no. It, so the modifier is George Clooney was the lead in from Dust Till Dawn. So he had another movie that came out in the same year. So you can pick that one as a as a tag oh, along. I, I, I don't. Yeah. No. One fine day with Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay. Yeah, that came out later in the year. I liked that film actually. That was kind of okay. like kind of com Okay. Yeah. So Clooney was yep. kind of doing doing both there. He was he was doing the gory stuff. Then later in the year, he had like the romantic comedy, which came out. So, um, okay. so that's how the modifier works. If it's the if it's a lead actor or actress, and they had another film the same year, you can grab it. And I have I have one that I'm going to do anyway. My number five is a very small film. It came out later in the year. So this is my vanity one that people a lot of people probably didn't see. Uh, Two Days in the Valley. Mm. I love this film. I loved it when it came out. It was kind of riding the the Pulp Fiction wave of of kind of the the weird storytelling and and kind of like a grittier type of storytelling. 
Um, Two Days in the Valley has an amazing ensemble cast led by my favorite, your everybody's favorite scumbag, James Spader. And he is in he's in villain mode, so you're not going to get a better Spader performance in the 90s than this one. Um, mm-hmm. You got uh, Danny Aiello, Paul Mazursky, who's a d- film director, but he was he was in this. Uh, yeah. Eric Stoltz, Jeff mm-hmm. Daniels, Marsha Mason, Terry Hatcher, Charlize Theron in her second role, but this was her first major role. Uh, her first role was like uncredited Children of the Corn or something. So this was her her first film. Uh, Glenn Headley was was in this too. So you had an ensemble cast like bar none that was absolutely amazing. And it's one of those. All, everybody's got a different story. There's a murder, and and all the threads end up intertwining at the end. Spader Spader and Aiello are hitmen, so they're they're tasked with killing somebody. Eric Stoltz and Jeff Daniels are detectives, so they end up involved in that. It's just it was just so so smartly written, and the guy that did it. This was like his only major thing. Before this, he did a lot of TV movies. He actually did some. He directed some after-school specials. So, <laughs> so go figure. I, yeah, if you look yeah. at his Wikipedia, he kind of came and went. But this movie was just of its time. It, it came out at the perfect time when those kind of movies were, were were still getting released to theaters too. A lot of that stuff now goes to, you know direct to video, and you don't know what to watch. But um, Two Days in the Valley is absolutely my number five. Yeah, cool. It's a it's a good film. I agree. It is is definitely one of those. There was so many though. There was so many of those types of films. Not necessarily this year, but when you know Pulp Fiction came out, all these like you got you know, movies like Get Shorty and, and all these like Elmore Leonard type stuff mm-hmm. happening, and these heist movies and these crime sort of black, almost black comedies in a yeah. sense too, because they're kind of they, there's a lot of humor in some of this stuff too. Yeah, so they were definitely uh, trying to but, ca- cash in on that, and it was directed by John Hersfeld. Yeah. So John Hersfeld. Okay. Uh, didn't didn't do much, but he really uh, I think he uh, he wrote this, too. So pretty amazing that this guy wrote and directed it and then kind of just disappeared. Didn't didn't really do a lot afterwards. But uh, Two Days in a Valley is is my uh, my number five. Deservedly so. OK. All number, right. So my number, number four. four. So you listeners out there, I got to get this out there. So, you know, in case you don't, some people obviously who know me know this but you will find out probably hopefully in the near in the near future that i am a huge star trek fan so my number four that year was star trek first contact i had to put it on my list because i actually did see it twice in the theater because i'm such a fan and it was amazing i i was blown away by you know we weren't so like enamored with the first next generation film generations. It didn't do that. Well, it was kind of felt like an episode, you know, kind of flopped this one right out the gate. I loved, I love the opening shot. I love the the look of the film It's probably my favorite looking star Trek film. And that's saying a lot given, you know, the Abrams movies that they were, you know, had such a bigger budget. And of course the special effects are that much, you know, so, so big, much bigger in those movies, but yet, I really like the, the look of this one. I love the the darker aesthetic. I love the the color palette. Everything from the uniforms were different. The brand new ship, it it just had the but it had the fun and the flair of the original series in it. It was a really great story. The uh, Brandon Braga and Ronald Moore they wrote the story, and it's basically you know the Borg come back and it's like they're, they're trying to they go back in time to prevent the first warp flight from happening, and that's actually the B story. 
of the film. Picard's on the ship dealing with the Borg. So it's, it's a nice little uh, satisfactory ending for his experience on the show. If you know Next Generation, you know that was one of the bigger story arcs of that of that series where he gets uh, assimilated by the Borg and, you know, they, they bring him back. But here he's like, they're back and he needs to exact his vengeance, so to speak. So it, it's almost like, it is sort of like a Wrath of Khan thing, but, but in, from his perspective now, and the captain is, is the Ahab character. So he is, you know, he's got to stop them at all costs. And, and, and of course it leads to some heated, heated stuff, some nice real conflict going on. And, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, the best that most definitely probably I go back and forth, but it may be my favorite Star Trek movie, even, even over Wrath of Khan. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Jonathan Frakes who played uh, William Riker on the series, he directed the film. They actually wanted to get, I think two, they were looking at two A-list directors to do it. And they, they passed cause they didn't want to do uh, Star Trek eight you know, so they kind of like, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, we're not interested. So Jonathan Frake stepped up and I think he did an amazing job. You know, he's, you could tell he's really proud of, of, of it as well. He directed quite a few episodes of the series. He went on to do Deep Space Nine, all the Star Trek series after Next Generation, including the new ones, Discovery, Picard, and the Orville, uh, which is Seth MacFarlane's spoof on Star Trek. And he directed episodes for that as well. So he's, well, well versed in the Star Trek universe, but I actually love this film. Again, I, I had to go back and see it again, and it's just it, it brought back a lot of a lot of things for me. Um, I actually saw it actually alone twice because <laughs> you know I was I had I had gotten a chance to get out and see it. So, uh, but I had I had a ball with it. Yeah, <clears throat> so that's I, I, my number four. Funny thing, I'm I'm we are both really big giant Star Trek fans, mm-hmm. but I never latched on to next generation i I really couldn't but this was my favorite one i i loved i loved this film like for for someone who you know i would be the hard sell and and they sold me on this and and i didn't you know i know a little i knew a little bit about the borg story and he got assimilated and then you know he got he got rescued but i was able to watch this as a standalone film because they filled yeah. in enough of that backstory where I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I was, I was missing I, that I was missing information. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, they tied it to the original, ep, to, to the original series with Zephyr Cochran and, and his first space flight. So they really tied, kind of tied the original series and then and the next gen together. And yeah, it was really well done. I really enjoyed watching it. And that's one that's yeah. when it's on, I, I will watch it. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. fun. It's just a good one. Yeah, it's great. Good choice. Yes. <laughs> okay. My number four. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you. A, I'm going to give you a, for the for the next for the next four. I'm going to give you the, a quote from the film. See if you can guess it. Okay. Okay. So the quote is: "I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. You eat you eat pieces of shit for breakfast. You can see, you can see where <laughs> my know. where my choices are going right in the toilet. I I, I number four oh is Happy Gilmore." Yes. Okay. There it is. At, from Adam Sandler, his his second his second film in in his trilogy of of like the three funniest films he ever did was yeah. Bill, was Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, and The Wedding Singer. Those were like the three best Adam That's Sandler amazing. films. I'm so glad you picked this because you know Happy Gilmore. I because you know what when you look at that list, I have to look 
not only at, at the films I love, but I remember there was a lot of films on there that were hysterically funny that did not make this list, like Kingpin, um, which was and, and Cable Guy, which did not make the list. So we're, I'm giving it away, but. How could you choose? I had to go with Happy Gilmore because it is just. Yeah. A fu- it, I, I was it's laughing. Hilarious. I was laughing hysterically. You know, I the, I I, I kind of caught up with like I I kind of caught up with his man child humor with this movie. Like I didn't I didn't see Billy Madison in the theater and I, I didn't get it. I'm like he was acting like a baby. Yeah. Once you kind of yeah. understand, once you kind of understand it, and you don't try and figure it out, and you don't try and look at this as serious cinema, Happy Gilmore was brilliant. It was just. Oh, I, Christopher, Christopher McDonald and Carl Weathers as Chubbs. Uh, ben Still Ben Stiller was was in the nursing home, like the evil, like the grandmother's <laughs> trying to get out. I mean, yes, yeah. There was there was just so much to to chew on it, and then, and then just all that, yeah. and then Richard Keel as as the fan, and he had the nail in his head. Uh, Julie Bowen was yeah, in Julie it. Bowen, family. Eugene uh, Flaherty was in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was just this just hit on all the good like this is just goofy and and there's nothing wrong with that and and I enjoy goofy and I enjoy just like sitting back and watching stuff that's silly when it's done smartly and this and you know and then the whole Bob Barker I mean the whole fight with Bob Barker is just like yes. out of nowhere and I I saw that in the theater and I was dying I was absolutely dying I was like this is this is too much for me so and, I'm and really. That, I'm so glad you picked that. I really am. <laughs> I, I I never knew you liked the movie so much. I, I you know. Oh, I know, oh my I, god! Yeah, I love Wedding Singer. Wedding Singer is my yeah. my my movie. I, I, that is just amazing. That film. I yeah. love that film. You know. But, yeah, Wedding but, yeah, Singer is like is like him growing up. It, 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 it it's such yeah. a, it's such a great trilogy. Each like he kind of plays variations of the same character, much like Mike Myers does like he does wayne's world and then he does austin powers like they will ferrell always plays variations on the man child also kind of the same Mm -hmm. naive and just kind of doesn't have any filter but adam sandler really and this is just he's got a violent he's got a violence problem in this movie too which is which is the crux of of part of it too is just that management yeah just (laughs) kicking the kicking the crap out of people like like left and right um when when he doesn't get his way or or he's just like you know um, so when you when you mix that uh, a frustrated no good hockey player with the hoity toitiness of golf and and the shh and the quiet, um, yeah. you, you you get a, a, you get a classic. And it was it was directed by Dennis Dugan, um, who was an a- he was actually an actor first Dennis Dugan, but then he went on. Um, he did Happy Gilmore. He did Big Daddy with with Adam Sandler also, which was a cute. I I loved Big Daddy also. That was like you want to like kind of cry. Um, yeah, he did the yeah. bench warmers. He did don't mess with Zohan. So he ended up working with Adam Sandler a lot, Jack and Jill, uh, grownups, grownups and grownups too. So they, you know, he really kind of, uh, ended up working with, with Adam Sandler and was very comfortable with him. And you know what made for 12 million and it made 41 million. So, it, you know, those, those kind of cheap comedies, you, you, it, they're low risk. And if they take off and if they catch, um, you make up, you make a boatload of money. So that was my number four is happy Gilmore. Look, I didn't even mean it for it to rhyme but number four happy gilmore great choice great choice uh okay so my number three this was another film that i actually saw twice in the theater don't ask me why i went back and saw it wait wait, hang on a second hang on a second instead of going to see movies twice that year why didn't you go see other movies more i don't know you had an opportunity maybe they maybe they just weren't (laughs) out at the time i didn't i couldn't find anything that interesting maybe just kind of slipping through the cracks there but um so nice you saw it twice 
Yeah, there you go. This was a movie. I like this kind of thing. I love legal dramas. I love uh, military legal dramas. I love the uh, morality and the the ethics of command and and you know consequences of, of actions or inactions or making a mistake. You know, in the chain of command and that kind of thing. So, my number three is Courage Under Fire with Denzel Washington. I thought it was a really solid, solid film. And, you know, there's a lot of movies like this out there. And But I don't know if this year, that you know, I think there were a couple that maybe came out later on during the year. But I know, like, after this, this is like kind of a drop in the bucket of this kind of thing. But I just love this kind of thing. I love the sort of the the, the morality aspect and, and having to face your, your demons. And Denzel, you know, he was involved. This is the first movie to... In, uh, to be uh, take place in the Gulf War, first mm-hmm. war movie of its type in the Gulf War mm-hmm. at the time. He was caught in a, in a you know uh, in a tank battle, and he actually destroyed a tank, which was you know friendly fire. It was his best friend actually that he killed. So of course he's you know he's pr- feeling pretty pretty horrible about that. He's the guilt, and he's he's wanting to go to see his parents and tell them the truth. And, and but like the government are saying, you know, he kind he kind he got exonerated from that but he still feels terribly guilty about it. So in the meantime, he gets assigned to this other task, which is they're, they're investigating this uh, pilot who's getting a medal of honor. Turns out to be a woman played by Meg Ryan, who, who did an amazing job in this film. And of course, that they do the Rashomon thing, the, the Kurosawa film, um, they, they touch upon an event that happens where you have several different accounts of the same event. And of course, each of each account is different so we got to see an, a really amazing performance out of Meg Ryan doing that. Every time you see her in this film, she's she's giving a, a different point of view or a different emotion or or whatever. Whether she's a coward or she's angry or she's you know. Um, so that that was so you know. Of course, he and through the investigation, he learns the truth and he wants to uncover that. But in the meantime, by doing this, it helps him inspire him to tell the truth about what happened to him. And it, it was such a it's a really an emotional roller coaster of a movie. By the end of it, it is probably a little too emotional, maybe a little too sentimental, but I don't mind that, you know, in this, in this kind of situation, especially. It was well-earned, well-deserved, and it had an amazing supporting cast. Uh, Matt Damon, in one of his earlier roles, yep. was in this. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, char- great character actor from the 80s. You know him from La Bamba. Scott Glenn played the reporter who was after, you know, Denzel Washington in this film, like trying to find out, you know, cover the truth, ends up helping him. Directed by Edward Zick, Zwick, he did, uh, he did Glory, he did, jeez, um, he did Last Samurai, and the one with Brad Pitt, and I just can't remember it. Legends of the Fall? Legends of the Fall, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's why I'm here. Yes, of course. Uh, but no, I, I, I really, I really, really enjoy this this kind of scenario in in films, and they did it a lot in Star Trek too, which is probably why, you know, growing up as a kid, I, they they did a lot of this kind of storytelling in Star Trek, and that you know, uh, so maybe that maybe that had something to do with it. But it was always fascinating to me about the military and the and the ethics of command mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So this was a great, great solid film for that. And I, and I went back and saw it again because I thought it was that, that good. Yeah. So yeah, there's so, three, number three. I'm telling you, it's just, and, and you know, if we have time, I mean, I'll, I'll run through some of the stuff that we didn't pick. We already hit on, on some comedies and it was just, a, just too, too much, too much to pick from. So we're, we're doing our level best. 
So yeah, <laughs> my my number three. Here comes the quote. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. You are so money. <sighs> Swingers. 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 Favreau. Yes. Of course. This is like swing swingers was kind of a was 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 literally swinging in and out of my list i would add it i would take it off it, this was swapping with between with from dust till dawn like from dust till dawn was on the list and then swingers was not and you have some hard when you're doing a, a top five like this you, there are some hard decisions that have to be made not everybody mm-hmm. can be in the top five right. but i said you know what swingers has to be because it captured much like Two Days in the Valley captured a, you know, r- kind of riding the wave of the Pulp Fiction-y stuff. Swingers really was like a – epitomized an independent film. Guerrilla filmmaking. If you read about this film, they they were having people come to a party so they could film party scenes but not tell these people they were filming. Okay? So they would just yeah. film when they, you know, do stuff like that. Um, most of the budget actually didn't go to the actors. It went to securing the music. Because the music was so important to the film yeah. that a, a lot of the budget was spent there. This, yeah, this was Favreau's passion project. He wrote it, and you saw his Vince Vaughn came out of this, and and the, it launched him into into the stratosphere. Um, it, Favreau kind of was on a slow roll. Not not he didn't explode the way Vince Vaughn did. Vince Vaughn exploded and then started making those comedies, like you know. Uh, wedding crashers and and dodgeball and he, he kind of rode that that wave and favreau went into he did some they they made a film right after this called made which was which was favreau and and vince vaughn which is which was good in its own right um but then favreau kind of launched in, in a different way did some did acting but then started fooling around with directing and his biggest hit was elf which was gigantic which then you know set him up to go into the MCU, but Swingers just evokes a, a time of of just kind of I, I connect with it because it's about guys that they're not losers and they're not winners. They're just guys, and they have job, they have regular jobs, and they they get together, they play video game like the scene with with Vince Vaughn. If you, if you play video games and you play Sega Genesis or anything back in the day, you will identify with him cheating when when they're when when the guy comes to deliver the food and they get up and Vince Vaughn keeps playing and just kind of is winning Um, Mm -hmm. stuff I used to do when I used to play video games. But (laughs) it's, it, it, so for me, it just kind of connected on all those different levels and then going out, they're going out in the the bar scene and, and they're not, they're not all Romeo. They're all standing around talking about like, you're going to call your honey. How long do you wait to call your honey? You know, how long do you guys wait? Oh, two days. You know, it's just like, they they kind of think that they're a little bit bigger than they are or or you know and they go to these parties and like ah this is boring let's leave and then they go somewhere else so it's just yeah. it's kind of sli- very slice of life ish and we were the same age as those guys when that film came out so i i kind of really identified with with just like what you you work and then you hang out with your friends and you'll go to a bar and you'll try you know maybe try to meet a girl or or and have different levels of success, but you and you have your you always have your pals with you though, and, you're, and they're boosting each other up. Yeah, because Fat Row is like he gets depressed. He's you know his mood swings, and you know he's yeah Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn. Yeah, Trent, Trent was just like the hype man. He's like Mikey, you got this, Mikey. You, you, you know you're the. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG third in the PG film. I want you to be the guy in the R rated film, 
right? You know, and he's not he's not a jerk about it either. Like you know, because Vince Vaughn is clearly, you know, he thinks he's the the man. Like you know, he's the suave one. And but when he's when he's dealing with Favreau, he he doesn't do that. It's like unlike Sideways, for example, where you know the the guy in that is always you know catering to him, but he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> but but Vince Vaughn is not in this film. Another thing I want to point out, give a shout out to, is uh, the fact that it, it uh, helped launch uh, the career of, uh, of one of the great groups of, of the swing revival movement, which was Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. They're actually in the film. Our friend Andy is a, was a huge fan of that band. Yeah. So so we we uh, we'll give a little shout out to him and to the bands, and you know get that out there. So. Yeah, so that was right smack in the middle because they're wearing like the the swing shirt, like the, the sort of swing shirts, like the swab. Yeah, those, you those know. bowling shirts, the club, the bowling shirts, called, yeah. camp camp shirts. Yeah. I think they're called. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was kind of like yeah, like they're they're just regular guys though, and they go to the casino and they just do you know they they go out to eat afterwards. All the stuff that you know we we did at that age too. So right, uh, right. I, although the swing thing I didn't connect with, but uh, I was like, well, that must be a California or Los Angeles thing. So I I went with it. Oh no, we 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 oh, oh man, they if you ever see that if you ever get to see that band, I I they're still doing, they're still rocking it out there. If you ever get to see them, check them out because they're they're authentic, man. They're mm-hmm. in there that good. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. <clears throat> All righty. So now again, I, I need to ask your number one just isn't number one, it's just occupying that space. So we're, are we building up to something or not really? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. I think it is it's definitely I I don't I didn't really put them in any particular order by preference, but I, I think number one was de- it would definitely be probably my favorite movie of the year. Got it. Alrighty, so let's do number two. Let number, me clarify. So number two, two. My wife would actually have my head if I didn't pick this. Wow. And that's, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be remiss not to uh, to pick this one, and that was Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. Yes. Um, I'm not a huge, huge rom-com guy. They're, you know, they're very formulaic. It's always the same kind of thing. This movie, I was, I was very taken with it from the very beginning. First of all, it's got, it's directed by Cameron Crowe. And as you know, he, he's, you know, he was a writer for Rolling Stone. So he's, he's big on the music scene. So every one of his films has an amazing soundtrack to, 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 to the film. And, and this one was no exception. I mean, you know, the, the, the actual soundtrack, if you, you know, on the, the album, it doesn't even do it justice because there was so many great, great stuff on the, in this, on the soundtrack. But uh, Tom Cruise gives, I think, one of the best performances of his career, I think, in my humble opinion. I, I, you know, he's more, you know, does more of the action kind of thing, but it really shows how much of a, actually, you know, how good he is as an actor. I thought he did an amazing job in this film playing this sw- slick sportscaster who gets caught up in, uh, kind of grows a conscience and he starts feeling bad about the job he's doing because it, people are getting hurt and he, you know, he doesn't care that the, the company doesn't care. They just want to make the money and, and all that kind of thing. So he writes this, what is it? This memo or his mission statement, as he calls it, basically going point by point, why we should get smaller and why we should care more about our clients and that kind of thing. It inspires a, a young secretary who's a single mom who's really inspired by this and she's like falls in love with him. And, and, you know, of course the romance ensues, but it's just a great, a great story too. You really feel for the guy. You really feel sorry for him. Amazing performance by Cuba Gooding Jr. Who won the Academy Award as, as the, 
the uh, the football player who's got a rather large chip on his shoulder, Rod Tidwell, who's a, who is so into his family. It's 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 almost it's almost cringy every time you see them together. They're like they're just so in they're love happy. and yeah, they're enjoying and they're, life. And they're and, happy. Yeah, they're enjoy, enjoying but, each other. But as but on the team, he's he's kind of a he's kind of a dick, you know. So <laughs> you know, he's not very he's standoffish. He's always complaining and and. Jerry, this he ends up being Jerry's only client, and they they form a bond, and it's just you know, and it's real. You feel it's genuine. It's it's a good, it's a good one of those really good feeling kind of movies, and you just you know you just can't help but like it. I think a lot of guys really took to this film too, because you know you think it oh it's a rom com. I'm going you know I'm going, but because it's talking about sports and you know there's so many things going on in it. I think a lot of guys gravitated to it. I know I did. I, I I enjoyed it. I could watch this movie independently. I don't have to sit there with my wife or and and watch this film on a date night or whatever. But that was it's a very special movie for us because that was actually our first date. So, oh um, yeah, yeah. Aww. So, <laughs> but it had some uh, amazing cameos in it. Glenn Frey, sad. It's it's hard to watch now because we lost Kelly Preston. Yeah. We watch lost uh, Glenn Fry, who makes a really cool cameo in this movie as as the football coach. And, you know, those were like unexpected kind of deaths and, and that were big losses. So this movie is not so much of an easy watch anymore <laughs> because of that, unfortunately. But um, but, yeah, I, I, I love this film. I think it's one of his best. Yeah, I think it, it is. is almost famous. It's, you know? it's not it's not it's not just for for women only. Absolutely not. It, it's one of the rare films where Cruz is playing somebody on his heels. You know, usually yeah. every Cruz is usually in, for the most part, always in control or, or you know, kind of he back then he was kind of still doing stuff like this, like the firm. He was kind of on his heels also. He didn't know what was going on. Um, but this one, yeah, he was just not the not the slick agent that he thought no, he, he was. He, he, you, know, not, he, yeah, you know, the, the, the kind of the, yeah, the business kind of moved on without him and he had to figure it out. And um, th- this movie spawned. Not one, not two, but three classic quotes, right? It's, you know, you got show me the money. You got, you had me at hello. Mm -hmm. And then you complete me. That's right. So this really, you know, and and it almost, you know, it's the the funny thing about this movie. It's like the, it's like the men, the men hater movie because Bonnie Hunt plays plays well you know when a Renee Zellweger's sister and she's yeah. she's just has not had good luck with men so they kind of get jaded and all the women meet and they just like are just how catty they are and you know and so at the end when he shows up it, it almost reaffirms in a good way like that there it it, it can happen you know it can happen yeah. to you you know so it, it not only did it work on the level of you know seeing Tom Cruise's character go through uh, what usually is a superficial type of uh, relationship for him into caring about his her, her son also very deeply and you know that yeah. that he he wasn't used to feeling that he needed somebody so it's such a great no so so well written and so well done um and and it did you're right it didn't follow the regular it did in a way, but but not really. It, t- it took a lot to get there because it was a lot of okay, they're, they're going to get together, they get married, and and that was kind of a mistake. So now we're we're going going on a different trajectory now. So now what you kind of don't know what's going to happen. You know, I think he took a lot of inspiration. One of I know Cameron Crowe, uh, his favorite film is The Apartment by Billy Wilder. 
Um, so he drew a lot of inspiration from that. From and that's an amazing film too. If you've never seen it, with Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, it's an oldie. Fred, but, Mc, uh, Fred McMurray. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he drew a lot of inspiration. He knew exactly how to write, write, do it right, the rom com right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, absolutely. Such a great film. That's a that's a great yeah. that's a great pick. Yep. Nothing wrong with your nothing wrong with your list. On my list, but it's you, gotta, you know you got a good list. Like said, so, many, <laughs> so much good stuff though in this this year. Nothing I would have uh, predicted so far, but I, number one is is the lock. So anyway, my number two. So I, I'll give you the quote. I may. I, it's got a curse in. It. It's got a really bad curse in it. I'll just I'll just give you the first part of it. Ready? I'll try and do the impression. This is going to be really bad. This could go over really horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try. I'm going to try an impression. Okay. okay. Your voice never sounds the way you think it does inside your head when you're doing impressions. When you do an impression in your head, you think you sound like the person. When it comes out, it might be something different. Here it goes. Your best? Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home. And <laughs> the prom queen. Got it? <laughs> That's got to be, it's Connery. It's I know it's Connery. Okay. It's the rock. okay. I just won. He he guessed that it was Sean Connery. So my, my impression was close enough that he knew it was Sean Connery. And then he was able to make the connection the that it's the rock. It is yeah, the rock. Okay. So my, my number two is the rock. Would you have thought that? No. Okay. See, no, this is not like the bass players. You got okay. when we did the bass players, Eric predicted four out of the five choices. This one I am stumping him, but I love the the rock is that the the it was kind of like the coming of of that era because it was Michael Bay's second film. So he hadn't become that overblown, like it, you know, the 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 other stuff was yet to come, Armageddon and and the stuff that really like overblew his his reputation or his style became, you know, transformers. It became mega explosion. So in the rock, he was still figuring it out. So there was, it was still kind of a little, a little tame and sedate and and just more actiony and not over the top actiony. And you've got Nicholas cage who the year before won the Academy award for best actor for leave, for playing an alcoholic and leaving Las Vegas. He then decides to, become an action star because after this you know for the most part that's right he, he did this and then the next year he did con air and he did face off and he just started doing you know and then he did adaptation he did some dramas in there but not as many he went yeah. full snake eyes eight millimeter he his career took a really radical turn with the rock so you've got nicholas cage you've got sean connery you have ed harris Mm-hmm. You know, you have uh, I forget his name as Womack, and, he, and who's, who's who just has it in for Sean Connery. You got you got William Forsythe, who's who's a character actor who I just always loved him. Uh, John Spencer yeah. as Womack, and he was great in Copland. He was like the one of the guys in, in Copland, and and Sean Connery basically. Long story short, British intel, you know, uh, kind of FBI British version in jail for like countless years you know because of what he knows and they can't let him out uh alcatraz is is it becomes a hostage situation and, and nicholas cage is like the goofy chemical expert not he's not an action hero but the only person that knows alcatraz is sean connery 
Uh, he's got it memorized in his head, apparently. So the deal is they'll 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 let him out if he if he can rescue the hostages. They'll give him his freedom. Uh, you know that's probably not going to happen. And and Nicholas Cage is is the fish out of water, really goofy, but he needs to step it up. So it's just got that great, the classic '90s action is is yeah. all you could say. But it was before it went over the top like Armageddon with they're in space and they're riding on you know an asteroid and you know like yeah. this was still a little more grounded. The 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 uh, the action was more grounded. It was. It was guns. It was, you know, they had to run and, and evade and, and swim underwater and stuff like that. So it wasn't crazy stuff. Um, but you had some some big actors too. Like Ed Harris was, I, I was surprised when I saw that he was innocent. I'm like, what's Ed Harris doing this? Like, this is material is, you know, I thought it would be kind of not what he'd be looking at. So the fact that you had these actors gravitating, especially Nicolas Cage, that had to be a gigantic win to get the Academy Award winner from the previous year to be in an action film. And Sean Connery was still riding high from you know Untouchables and Hunt for Red October, and uh, I don't know if I don't know if Entrapment was before or after this. I think it might have been after. I think it was after. Um, yeah. But he was having a late career surge in in action films also. Um, so it mm-hmm. just kind of you know, and it produced by by Don Simpson and, and Jerry Bruckheimer, and this would be I think Don Simpson's last producing credit before he passed away. Um, Michael Bean was in this. He was like the head of the seals. I mean, you've got every, you know, who's, it's a who's who of, of the nineties. Um, you, you've got them in this film and it's just, the, the action is just great. So that's my number two. Such an unlikely <laughs> pair though, Connery and yeah. Nicolas Cage. I mean, you know, it's, it's so crazy. Yeah, especially yeah. cause, cause, cause Nicolas Cage is just Nicolas Cage and, you know, right. Sean Connery is like a, you know, not, he's a serious actor, but I'm sure he doesn't probably take a lot of guff on, on the set. Um, right. but Cage hadn't gone full, you know, over the top yet, but this was on the way, uh, to him, do, to, to him doing that. Um, but just, mm-hmm. just a great film. Actually, I want to backtrack a little bit. Okay. You said, if we pick one with a, with a star, did another movie we could attach to, right? This, that was the, you should probably so wait. If I pick Jerry... Okay. You should probably wait. Well, you could probably do the same for your number two. Um, no, actually I was going to do it for my number one. Okay. So why, right. why, let's, let, you know what, let's go through the list and then we'll double back on any, any, uh, right. any additionals. Yep. So, okay. Okay. So number one, and you saw this, you saw this film in the theater, right? Cause you said you had only seen the only movies that made this list were films that you actually saw in the theater that year. And my, so my number one is, is Fargo. I knew of it. Course. I knew it. Absolute, absolute masterpiece, this movie. It's just, oh, I mean, I, I love the Coen brothers. I mean, most of their, <laughs> there's, they're, they've got to be my top, at least top three favorite film directors, I think, because they're just so, so consistently good. And, and this one was just so out of left field. I mean, I loved Raising Arizona when it came out. That was like such a zany comedy. And the only reason why I went to see this film was because of them. I recognize, you know, so I went, you know, I saw it and I'm like, this is, this is, wasn't a, a zany comedy per se. It is a little bit of a black comedy, but, uh, but boy, it's a, it's a lot of a black comedy. <laughs> it's, 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 oh, but the, it just the, the, just the matter of factness of, of Francis McDormand and, and just a lot of, and Bill Macy, he's just, uh, I, I can't say enough about it. I don't even, I, I don't even want to gush or, or even say too much about it because I think, I think everybody knows. We could, I, I don't think I could say anything that, you know, we all we could, feel the same we way. Could, about, we, could, you know? we could easily spend an hour on Fargo. 
we can absolutely. easily spend an hour on Fargo. Because <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. The the thing with the Cohen yeah. brothers is knew you were going to get something quirky and weird. You just mm-hmm. didn't know how they were going to deliver it. And right. I saw exactly. I saw Fargo in the theater too, and I'm like, oh my god, this is just absolutely amazing. And and yeah. William H Macy stole. You know, you know what? Yes, Francis McDormand won won Best Actress. I don't know how he did not win as as Jerry Lundegaard because he was just a ball of nerves, a, a ball a, of frustration, a... and he he had the. I think he had the hardest. He probably had the hardest job. I think. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, it's just like. You know, oh God! You know, and Steve Buscemi is in it. Uh, well, you know, you've you've just got you know the the uncomfortable scene with 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 Francis McDormand and Mike Yamagita when they're at the yeah. you know at the Radisson and he's just trying to he's like so low you know oh my God there's just so many scenes that we could just I could I could pick apart and the thing of it is is like you they're they're all like they're just so lost it's such like some loss and you if you feel for every single one of these characters yeah. you really do. You're darn too. Like, You're darn too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know. So and when and by the end of it, you just feel so bad for Macy. It's just yeah. oh my god. You got you no know. cause to get snippy with me. <laughs> it's like you're, you're darn tootin. I'll yeah, get you the number. This, I'll get you. You want you want to count? You want to lock count now? It's just. I, I almost. I, I, you know, I, I at this point, I don't even know. How, I don't. This should have this one best picture that year. I mean, it deserved every every acclaim, every accolade it got. But I think it deserved more. Well, yeah, you think you about know? it. I mean, so, and and that's one of the things that we we may do is go back and look at at, at Oscar winners and say, well, who should have who should have won in our opinion? Yeah. Um, has does Fargo have the legs? Yeah, English patient. Like I said in the beginning, no one really talks about the English patient. You don't really see it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But Fargo, it spawned actually a couple of seasons of a, of an FX series. Regardless of that, that movie on its own is just a. It's just a. Yeah, it, it was the reason. <laughs> it it would have it would have been my number one easily. But I I, I left yeah. it off because I knew you were going to put it on. Okay, I was so That's I was fair. absolutely sure. I knew you were going to go for Fargo, so I'm like, all right, let me, I'll, I'll relinquish that. But my number one is is would probably be my number one anyway. Okay, I think, um, but but Fargo is fantastic choice. Oh my god, such a great film. So my number one, I'll give you the quote, Kittredge, you've never seen me upset. Oh my god, I, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> Well, it's it's the reason why I wanted you to hold off on your modifier. It's Mission Impossible. Oh. <clears throat> okay. I love when I saw this, I walked out and I still didn't know what went on in the film. And that's that's a sign of a great film is if you are walking out still wondering not in a bad way of what did he did he was he in on this or was he not? Like I still when I left at at the time when I saw him like I still wasn't sure what I had seen and who actually knew what and who yeah. to what extent everybody was involved. And the fact that it was done by Brian De Palma, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that was the thing when, when, when Tom Cruise announced he, he was going to, you know, kind of make a series of these, he wanted a different director for each one. That was the, what, what his key was is he wanted to, each one to have a different flavor. And you, and you see that mission impossible two was directed by John Woo and it had a totally different like take on it. Yeah. This one by De Palma, I just love the, the the camera work. I love the cinematography. I love that he's not an action director, 
delivering this because he he brings a different type of tension to it. You know, the, yeah. you know that the whole scene when they're in Langley trying to break in is is one of the most high tension scenes in, oh in film god. history when he's when when yeah. they're lowering him and and the sweat and the sweat um, oh my god <laughs> just yeah. so like like it, it took you 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 hear oh they're making mission mission impossible and the and the masks and the, like it could have gone the other way this movie could have easily gone the way of something campy and corny and right. the fact that you got Brian De Palma involved who's going to take it seriously he he'd come off Carlito's way like in 93 um, so he's he makes back then like high quality, high caliber films, most notably known for Scarface for everybody else. But Mission Impossible is like, oh, my God, it, it was it was another one where Cruz was was in the same year. And that was going to be my modifier. See, we, we we swapped and I like that. See, you're you're taking this one as yours. I'm I'm taking Jerry Maguire as mine because it came out in the same year. And and Mission Impossible just really just delivered on on smart action. And yeah. and yeah, there was leaps of faith because of, of the masks and, and the disguises, but it was treated realistically. It wasn't again, it wasn't like like so far fetched and really cemented. I think this really cemented Cruz as like the action star because he was, you know, then got known for doing all his own stunts and it just got he got he got crazy off the wall, became an action star. Much well, in the way Nicolas Cage did, but this was just yeah. like Mission Impossible was like you know, oh my God, and John Voight. I it's felt, like John Voight. You know, I I was like, oh my God, I I, I thought he retired. You know, and he, right? back then it was like this was like twenty five years ago, and he was still pretty young. And I and because you just hadn't seen much of him, um, and then he would kind of this start was, popping up again. Yeah, that was after Heat, right? Heat was ninety four, ninety five right? was Heat. Okay, yeah. So he had just so like that, and that was like a right. that was like almost a you could almost call that a glorified cameo. Well, getting back to the the yeah. mask aspect of it, that to me was the show. Yeah. That's what, that was the whole show. I mean, that's what, pretty much what all they could pretty much do on the show was wear masks and disguises and that kind of thing. So that to me, that was a you know that was actually harkening back to the yeah. the actual TV series. Red, so that I thought that was cool. Red light, green light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the gum, right? Emilio Estevez right. gave him the gum. Hasta lasagna. That's don't right. get any on you. And so it was just <laughs> such a great. You know, and that was the thing is is that the whole team got wiped out in the beginning. So you think, oh, oh, okay, now this is going somewhere else. So then he's got to recruit a new team. Uh, yeah, and and that ha- had its its pro. You know, in in within the film in the plot, it had its its issues. Also, there was stuff going on there. So just it's just so smartly done. And when mm-hmm. I watch it, when I watch it again, I'm actually more taken by the cinematography and and the angles and, and the camera work that that De Palma chooses, which is really particular to him. So you're really getting like a pro. This wasn't like a Michael Bay action film, right? Where you're, you're get, you're going to get the big kind of explosions and the big, the, the, the shaky camera work and all that kind of stuff. This was an, a, like a, a, a smart action film. There was a lot of suspense, a lot of tension yeah. in those, in those scenes, even the scene on the bridge when they're, you know, where the, or she, or they get killed and, and she, she's over, you know, she goes over the bridge and all that, all that stuff in like in Prague yeah. was, was awesome. It feels like an older, older movie and you got the right down to the rain soaked cobblestones and, and all that kind of thing. And, and just, you know, the, the noirish aspect of it. But, yeah. And you have the team, yeah, the team's was, all separate yeah. doing their different things. This one's in the yeah. pot, you know, Galitzin's in the right. pocket and, and he's yeah. getting away with the list. It was just, and you had uh, Vanessa Redgrave as, uh, it all comes Joe, flooding back. The more you know, I think about it, or yeah, Max, she was Max. Sorry, she was Max. Yeah. Um, 
such just like it's one that that is probably like I probably didn't remember if you asked me, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you what year Fargo came out, but I do remember what year this came out. Like this was okay. like for me, I remember this film. I'm like, oh my god, it was so great. Only because I was so like again, good great film had me walking out still thinking about it and still wondering about it and still like I'm I'm not really sure what that was. And was he always in you know, so good stuff. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. that's the top five. Well, you sure you don't want to go back to, to your number your number two and uh, choose Dragonheart? <laughs> <It's> no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, no. Only because you know what? I'm I'm going to get technical with you because Dennis Quaid was actually the lead in that. So oh, okay. Sean Connery, right. Sean Connery did the voice of the dragon of Drago okay. or whatever his name was. But um, yeah, well, yeah, I, I would take that too. You know, he again. He was he was working. You know, the the guy was was dragging down paychecks and working. Sure. Um. So let let me just let's just roll down. You know, since we have a little bit of time, some of the stuff that we we missed. Okay, and I'll just roll through. And this this might be subjective. I'll I'll just roll through it though, and you tell me. Oh, I'll, um, I'll do the same. So go ahead. Just just quickly, big films like The Juror. Broken Arrow, mm-hmm. Broken Arrow, which was a big action film that was with John Travolta, John, John Travolta. and Christian yep. Slater. The Birdcage, which was like a gigantic comedy for Robin Williams. Uh, that was just a, a, a corny favorite of mine, which was Executive Decision, which was Kurt Russell on the airplane. With yes. St- Steven Seagal got killed like in the beginning, like quick, quick. You think it's going to be like a, you think it's going to be a <laughs> right. Steven Seagal film, and he gets offed like in the first half hour, and it was it became yeah. something else. Primal Fear, which was the the debut of uh, of Edward Norton, right? That was with Richard Gere. Um, okay, that was, was that his first. Film? Yeah, that was his first film. Wow. Yeah, James James Who? James and the Giant Peach, um, which was like the Nightmare Before Christmas time uh, animation, which was an, a a Raul Dahl uh, book based two, on that. Two feature film debuts from both Andersons, Wes Anderson, Bottle Rocket, yeah, with, with Bottle Rocket, yeah. and P.T. Anderson with uh, Heart Eight. Yep. Yep. So, and then um, the craft, which was uh, mm-hmm. which I, I'll never turn off. It's 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 a it's one of those '90s films, uh, you know, with with Feruza Balk in it and Robin Tunney, Nev Campbell. It, it's about you know the witchcraft, and it's just it's just of its time. Skeet Ulrich was in it also. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we said, you know, Twister, whatever. We can leave that one. The <laughs> I did the, fan, I the did Phantom, s- which was which was con- trying to cash in on the superhero stuff with Billy Zane, but didn't couldn't make it. Cable Guy again, that was that was gigantic, and that was a, a dark Jim Carrey that was film. Dark. Um, right, it wasn't the, the usual. Yeah, fair. Yeah, and I'm surprised it made as much as it did because when I saw yeah. it, I'm like, this is not what people are uh, like. This is not like the Ace Ventura stuff, and it's not like the mask. Right. It was very it was a little more subversive, and I'm like, I don't know if people are going to dig it. And, and everybody did, though. It made a ton of money. the The last good, the last good Schwarzenegger action film, Eraser. Yeah, you know that okay, was like that. that one was like the last really good one. Um, Sleep Sleepers, Barry Levinson. Sleepers, which was incredible. That was that was on my list. That was battling. That would that you Kevin Bacon. Oh yeah. my god, you had a cast like that was incredible. Robert De Niro, right. Hoffman, mm-hmm. uh Jason Patrick, Brad Pitt, uh uh what's his name? Billy Crudup, right? So um yeah, nutty then you had the Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy, the remake, Mars, which was Mars which, Tax, which was Tim big. Burton, 
Yeah. Oh my God. So much stuff here. So, so when, you know, when people were saying, Oh, 96, like why? I'm like, go look, go look. Oh, and train, train spotting. We forgot train spotting. spotting, Tin tin cup, which is tin cup is the reason why Kevin Costner didn't take happy Gilmore because he was offered that. And he was making, really? he was make, yeah, he was making a golf movie of his own. Um, she's the one, which I love. Edward Burns, um, again, so many, so and and look, listen to the the titles we're rattling off. There's gigantic tentpole films, there's big comedies, and there's little small films like She's the One and um, you know uh, Trees Lounge, which was the directing debut of Steve Buscemi. So there was just so much going on in in this year. It's just amazing. It's just like I, I, you know, you almost can't, you almost can't pick. And then, of course, and and a lot of someone was like, "Oh, this is going to be on your list." Um, that thing you do, yeah, like that came, like you know, that that sort of came out of nowhere too. Yeah, was, that's that's yeah. a a great film. It was a great film. It was just how do you, how do you pick some? Uh, then it, then it went some darker places too. Your movies like Crash. With James Spader, it's a Cronenberg. That was a highly controversial yeah. movie about you know f- f- crash fetishes yeah. and, and people having sex on a car crash. It's it's a crazy movie. And then you got stuff like uh, Dead Man, yep, uh, Jim Jarmusch, and and you got uh, Bound, the, the Wachowskis is before the Matrix, mm-hmm. yeah, Gina Gershon, and yeah, yeah, so <clears throat> much, so much stuff. And then oh, and then uh, Scream. Which started mm-hmm. off like the Scream series and, and kind of re yeah. reinvigorated like the kind of horror film because then all that other stuff started coming out. And I know what you did last summer and Urban Legend and uh, Final Destination. So there was a lot going on in the '90s. So and especially '96. And then Pe- People vs. Larry Flint, which was another great Edward Norton film, uh, which I which I love. So there's just too much to pick and. Yeah. Now you know, and and one of the reasons also, just quickly as as we wrap up, Netflix was two years away from launching, and I think that's important. Uh, you know, Netflix didn't start with the streaming right away, but there was on the horizon was would be the death of like Blockbuster, right? This would signal yeah. this would signal the end of an era. It would signal the end of you know movies, you know the window between when a movie was in the theaters and when it would come out. That would begin to shorten and shorten and shorten um as netflix you know it started off very meager i I, when it first came out i joined i'd get one dvd and when i watched it i would put it in the mail and then they'd send me the other one but that heralded the coming of something else because because netflix would then go into eventually way way down the line but they would get into streaming and, and and then other one other streaming services would would kind of rise out of that too and the way we consume movies became different. And 96 kind of represented a, an era where you had to go, you, you were going to the movies and there was so much to choose from. It doesn't feel like there's that much out now because of the nature of distribution, because stuff will go directly to Amazon. It'll go directly to Netflix. You know, they're, they're made with lower budgets, so they'll go on streaming services first. So there's almost, it's almost, there's, there's almost no way to aggregate it you know, cause I don't have Netflix, so I might be missing stuff that might be great, but I have Amazon prime. So I, I get that stuff. Yeah. Back then it was like, it was in the theater and, and yeah, there was some stuff that would go to direct to video, but that was like the really, really low budget stuff. But now you've got stuff like the Irishman debuting on Netflix with big stars. You know, the, the whole, the whole business has changed, but 96 kind of harkens back to 
going to going to the movies where where and before the superhero before Marvel and you know really kind of occupied every year since Iron Man came out and our viewing habits became different. This was like Independence Day was like the big one, but and everything else was just other films. It was just so much. You know, there was wasn't so, so many franchises. Diverse. Yeah, the, everything's everything is franchises yeah. now. Fast and the Furious twenty seven exactly. and, and Marvel this and and DC that. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. I enjoy those films, but this kind of harkens back to there was just so many different things to pick from, and, and all of it was good. And there was there was literally something for everybody. Mm-hmm. There was literally yeah. something for everybody. Absolutely. So and a lot of surprises. Movies that just came out of nowhere. They're just kind of like. God, that was a great, and I go, oh my God, that was my favorite movie. Then you go see something the week yeah. later, and oh my God, you know, the, you know, you're, yeah, you're constantly you, changing your mind, and yeah, it's just too many to to, to even a top five didn't even do it justice. I, I think, no. you know, like you know, but we had to. So, it was it was a yeah. it was a tough job, yeah. but we <laughs> we we steeled ourselves. We looked at the lists, we made our choices, and in some cases. I made multiple choices as I always do and, and pull things off and, and change my mind. Um, but we got it done. I encourage everybody go search Google films of 1996 and, and I look at this list and it'll br- it'll bring you back. And, and if you look and there, we didn't even talk about, I'm sure there's other things that are favorites from, from, from our listeners that, that are on that list that we didn't even talk about. So go, go check it and, and you'll see it was, it was almost like the glory days of, of film where everything was just coming out. There was something for everybody in the theaters. Um, and, and like I said, our viewing habits were different. So the theater was the place to go. So that, so give us, got, give us some feedback too. We'd like to hear some of your picks as well. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yep. And, and uh, as always, we thank you for your support and you can find us on your favorite streaming platform like Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, or, on a direct link to us at 3324.buzzsprout.com. So on behalf of Eric, my name is Dean. This has been the top five films from 1996, and we will catch you on the flip side. You've been listening to the 3324 podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important, so make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation. 